Alright lads, this podcast is a member of the Vices of Wrestling podcast and network. Visit vicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions and updates across the world of wrestling. Six of the honor roll here at voicesofwrestling.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lincoln Project and you can follow the show at the honor roll VOW. We have a packed show this week, including two television episodes as well as three shows from the recent Four of the Worlds tour. So I'm not going to spend too much time with the formalities, but I will say that to uh, anyone that celebrated Mother's Day over the weekend, I hope you your mother, Nan, the guardian of choice, very well. Moving swiftly on, Ring of Honor Television 397 opened with Matt Taven making his first appearance as the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, this was pretty by the numbers. Um, Taven said all the things you would expect Taven to say as your heel heavyweight champion and how he proved everyone wrong. Um, it ended with Flip Gordon coming out and pointing out that he won the Sea of Honor tournament. Uh, Matt Taven did have a cute line about how did uh, Flip really prove himself by winning um, a tournament on a boat you know, with a bunch of drunk people while he won the belt uh, in, in Madison Square Garden. Uh, but Flip Gordon apparently has got himself in line for a heavyweight title shot somewhere down the line. And considering the recent news with the Best of the Super Juniors uh, tournament and Flip not being able to get into the country due to visa issues, maybe that will take place sooner than you think. Our first match of the night, Jonathan Gresham took on Silas Young, uh, which was a rematch from a match a couple of weeks ago, which Young uh, won via, via dubious means. Uh, this was... I like this. I like this feud. Um, it's it's nothing complicated. It's Gresham pointing out and, and saying to Young that you can't beat me via fair means, uh, and Young continuing to beat Gresham by being a shite hawk. I do appreciate that. Uh, Young was being um, more traditional and playing by the rules for a fair portion of this match. And... Uh, I was enjoying the work between the two of them. Uh, as you can imagine, though, this ended uh, with Young uh, getting a bell hammer and just clocking him with it uh, before applying an abdominal stretch and the ref uh, stopping the match by a ref stoppage. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like this. I, it's it's giving something for both of these guys to do. It's a, it's a nice little undercard feud. You need those to keep the bulk of the television uh, going, something interesting. Uh, and these two are doing that, so I'm totally fine with this at the moment. Uh, we got a video recap of Kelly Klein winning the Women of Honor title back from Mayu Itani at the Supercard, uh, as well as the debut of the Allure. Uh, Kelly Klein is interviewed, uh, noting that the Women of Honor title was about skill and wrestling and not just getting attention. And I'm hoping at some point Kelly Klein will apply what she's saying into practice. Um, and she plans to clean up the mess that is the Allure. Uh, we just got a recap of Rush squashing Don Castle, and uh, Castle said that we will hear from Castle next week. Uh, and then we also got a recap of Billy Ray attacking to kill Dashwood. So a fair amount of recapping of a few things over the last couple of weeks, and sometimes it's not bad to, to give yourself, you know, five ten minutes just to let the audience you know, recap on a couple of different storylines that you have going on at the moment. Uh, our main event was the Briscoes taking on the team of Sobonara Jr. and Caristico. And I, this was probably the, the least interesting or the most forget, 
against the ball Briscoe's match I've seen so far in 2019 or certainly since we started doing this show uh, and certainly compared to everything that we will be watching over the next couple of days with the television and the War of the Worlds tour uh, Chris Tico I'll be honest when it comes to Chris Tico or the original Sin Cara um, my knowledge of him does not go back to when he was the, the wrestler of the year in, I think it was 06 and 07, I can't remember exactly, but, uh, you know, he's accolades in the Wrestling Observer, um, far outweigh for me the knowledge I have as him um, post, you know, when he came into the WWE and his original run of Sin Cara and, and anything afterwards. Uh, he's, he's never done anything that has particularly wowed me, and that's partially on me because I don't watch really anything that comes out of Mexico, so I can't um, claim to be the the forerunner of Sin Cara Caristico uh, and his uh, wrestling past, but as here with anything else, he doesn't particularly stand out, there's nothing he particularly does, it could just be that, you know, the junior heavyweight style has evolved rapidly over the last 10 years, uh, and maybe if I was watching him at the time, maybe I would have understood what the fuss was about. But I just, I just, I don't find anything about him particularly compelling. Uh, and Sobinaro, uh I believe he was in the World Tag League uh, last year. And he did particularly stand out there and not here either. Uh, and ended up taking the Jade Jeweler and the Froggy Bow. So uh, this week's television or television for 397, um, was just a show, probably the least interesting since uh, we started doing this, um, but the card will be winners. We'll then move on to Ring of Honor Television 398, where Rep Titus was on commentary, and I am kind of turning the corner on this whole Rep Titus total package gimmick. Obviously, it's not called that, but I don't know, call it what you will. Um... It does go without saying that Ring of Honor, the area that it lacks the most is personality. And not every gimmick, not every wrestler can be the World Heavyweight Champion. And I think by this point we are definitely aware that Rhett Titus is not going to be that. So you need, you know, you need a, a goofball hill undercard wrestler. And... Rhett Titus can be that, you know, I'm hoping at some point they realise Kenny King needs to be that, because they're still pushing him as, like, he's going to be some sort of, you know, commodity, but, um, I'm fine with Rhett Titus in this role, and he, he's leaning into it more, and, you know, he's kind of pointing out other wrestlers, and their physical frame, and barely even mentioning the wrestling, and just kind of talking about, you know, how they look, and, um, he had a line on the War of the World show, uh, like how he'd already been to the gym twice that morning or something. And, um, you know, he's not anything special in the ring, but I am fine with Red Titus, which was something that I didn't think I'd be saying, uh, with this current get up. But I mean, <laughs> it beats the fucking the dogs. So there, 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 there's the curve that we're grading on. Uh, Eli Isom took on PJ Black. And I mentioned this when I was doing the, the War of the Worlds review. Uh, I'm not sure when it'll be up, but I've done the Night 2 review for Voices Wrestling. And uh, PJ Black has been, you know, one of the real kind of central figures of the television uh, for a while now. And he he's hit more than he's missed. He's had a couple of moments where uh, things have not fallen apart, but it's been a bit clunky. And uh, and this was the case here, although in this instance it was uh, Eli Erson who uh, fell, you know, bound, trying to do a springboard off the, the top rope. Um, and the, I think the thing with Black is that he's had this, couple, having a couple, uh, had this happen a couple of times in his matches. And uh, there's just an, an instinct that doesn't immediately come to him to make whatever the mistake is work into the match. Uh, like, there's a couple of seconds where there's just a bit of a delay as the wheels turn to the side, okay, what I'm going to do. And maybe you could argue that that is something that would happen in real life, but I don't know. If I see someone uh, bounce off the top rope and then fall to the floor, you'd 
just go for the pin straight away. And this seems to be happening in a few of his matches, and it's not always his fault. So maybe, you know, over time, he will get that instinct and just go straight for it. Because that is the obvious thing to go for. Just go for the pin and then work back to whatever spot you were doing. What am I saying? I'm not a wrestler. I shouldn't be critiquing the things like that. Uh, but this was cool. Um, Black just fucking flattened him with a 450 splash. Like, you know the 450 splash where the 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 guy is too close to the ropes, so you end up just kind of you can't over rotate enough uh, within the the span of of length that you have to work with. So you end up just crushing them with your knees. It was that kind of thing. I hope Isom is okay because that looked like it sucked. Uh, and then PJ Black put him away with the uh, Moonsault Mushroom Stomp, which has always been a move that I found just incredible how you hit that um, and actually like hit your opponent. He hit more of the arm than the actual center of his body, but I I enjoyed this uh, a fair amount. And uh, again, like guys that are going to take up most of the television time because you want to keep the... Uh, the main event seems strong and off and special for the pay-per-views and whatnot. Uh, guys like Isom and PJ Black are, are suiting that role very well at the moment. We had Raylin versus Kelly Klein. And I did my homework and uh, Raylin was trained by Al Snow and Nick Dinsmore. And uh, this went about three minutes but was uh, overall less offensive than Kelly Klein versus Mayu Iwatani from the G1 Supercard. I promise I will stop bringing that match up at some point, possibly when Kelly Klein has, you know, something that I consider a good match. Uh, this was serviceable. I wouldn't say good. Um, Kelly Klein's off offense uh, continue to offend, continues to offend me um, in that it lacks any kind of malice to it or anything that, you know, makes you think that this would actually hurt. Uh, and also her key power, uh, her finisher, which is like a, a rotating um it's kind of like the cradle shock kind of like a rotating uh aa and i think the aa is more um suitable in terms of what to call it because it has all the just destructive property of an aa in that it just it doesn't look like it would finish off an opponent um we had this whole thing railing before the match was um saying how kelly klein was not her women of honor champion and she didn't respect her and then three minutes later when this match ended, she shook Kelly Klein's hand like this was some, um, like somehow Kelly Klein had convinced her in those three minutes that, oh no, she is my uh, women's of, women of honor champ. Um, no buys, no buys. And then the allure came out and uh, love attacked Kelly Klein from behind. Uh, Jenny Rose came out to save the day. She ended up getting branded as that's, um, the Allure's thing at the moment in their attempts to be the, the women version of the NWO. And this is still going. So, cool. Uh, we saw the whole uh, full post-match beatdown with Dalton Castle and the boys. And this uh, ended with Dalton Castle coming out. Uh, he came out, I know he came out once. Uh, and uh, left before saying anything, which is one of my favourite heel tropes. Uh, Batista did that once or twice, and I always enjoyed it. Um, he asked for forgiveness from the boys. He he chalked it up to being frustrated, and he's he's losing streak recently. Um, and you know he was in Madison Square Garden. He lost in sixteen seconds, and just uh, it, it got the better of him. And so he asked the boys to come out. They did, and. Uh, he managed to convince them that he, he saw the error of his ways and, and begged for forgiveness. Uh, and the boys did. And they had a, an embrace and they hugged. And it was beautiful. And then Dawn Castle pointed out that, you know, these were no boys of his. And uh, he beat the shit out of them. <clears throat> and this was great. Obviously, you could see it coming from a mile away. But uh, it's amazing how much a heel turn can reinvigorate someone. And... Uh, Dalton, between this and between the War of the Worlds tour, uh, I have uh, a renewed interest in his character. And I think he has a renewed interest in what he's doing um, because he can really go into this. And he has uh, one of the 
better talents when it comes to mic skills in the company. And uh, if he continues on like this, I think this will give him an edge that he may have been lacking in the past. Uh, certainly when it comes to his uh, World Championship run. Uh, I think that was one of the issues he always had, is that he didn't just... There was an edge, there was something that was missing. And this may be the thing that unlocks that. Um, so this was good. I very much enjoyed this. Uh, our main event of the evening was the Kingdom versus Lifeblood, made up of Williams and Mark Haskins. Uh, Caprice Coleman on commentary this evening, this was one of his uh, poor performances. He goes up and down, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's horrendous, uh, and this wasn't great. He Somehow, apparently to him, Tiki Orion, Tiki Orion reminds him of a young Barry Windham. I've, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I've not watched a lot of Barry Windham. I'll be honest, when the times I have watched either T.K. Ryan or Barry Windham, I've never made a connection between the two of them, but you do you, Caprice Coleman. Uh, this was okay. Um, I mentioned later on, again, in my War of the Worlds review, that uh, Lifeblood, this tandem of Williams and Haskins that has kind of been thrown together, uh, are having a sneaky, underrated year. And uh, Kingdom are not. I, I don't find this tandem of Marcelia and Orion to be anything of any notoriety. Um, it's <laughs> they're, They really are like an undercar tag team that have been propped up by the fact that they are now in the stable with the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. And I think that, I think the issue with Taven that he has isn't actually anything to do with him. It's more the act that he's associated with. Um, because those two just don't really bring much, and, and we'll talk about this later on. Um, and certainly compared to both Haskins and, and Williams, who I'm turning around a lot on, but Haskins, and this is not just a, a sentimental thing because he's a Brit like me, but Haskins just, he stands out fucking head and above, not literally, obviously, but uh, just the way he moves around the ring. And, like, he's a uh, he's sharpshooter. Like, the talk he gets in that thing, uh, it's just, oh, it's a thing of beauty. Um, so this was fine. I'm glad that uh, Haskins and Williams got the victory here. Um, I think that they can be one of the, um, you know, I think that a tag division always needs at least four good tag teams. And, and Williams and Haskins are definitely one of those at the moment. Uh, and you can make arguments about who the others are. I would say the Briscoes, Villain Enterprises. Um, I guess that, or oh, I guess they would probably push the kingdom as the other one, but I'm not too sure about that. Um, but, you know, this was good, and I'm glad Haskins got the victory as well. Um, maybe that bit was sentimental value for him being a Brit, but whatever. Uh, so they got the victory, and then after they called out Billy Ray uh, in reference to the whole thing earlier with the uh, exit from the company of Tinil Dashwood, uh, Billy Ray would come out, and he would just scream at um, both of them to, to pass him the mic, uh, as Williams was going off on one for a few minutes. Um, and as soon as he got the mic, he told him to go to hell when he walked to the back. Because for all the things you can say about Bully Ray, he uh, he knows how to be a heel. So uh, that feud continues, though the dynamics of that feud, considering it's one guy against... Well, really, it's only two at the moment, because uh, Finley is out and Juice has been around for not that long because obviously he spends most of his time in Japan um, but the dynamics of this feud are still weird because it's one guy against more than one but hey whatever so moving on to the War of the Worlds tour this was uh, three dates combined with a television taping from Chicago that saw us go across Buffalo and uh, Toronto and uh, Grand Rapids is it called Grand Rapids? The Grand Rapids? I don't know I'm not from America. Uh, we started in Buffalo. Uh, the first two nights had the stronger card, with the, the Grand Rapids show being what looks on paper to be the weakest one. Um, that ended up over-delivering massively uh, due to a couple of changes that maybe were designed ahead of time. I'm not sure. It uh, doesn't really matter, because uh, we ended up getting three shows that none of them were... 
a particularly standout. Nothing that I think that um, is absolutely crucial that you see. But if you have uh, on a club, if you have a subscription to that, um, they're very easy watches. You know, nothing else stays as welcome. Um, I think they're all around about the three-hour mark. Uh, there's a couple of low points across the, the shows that we'll get into, but overall, um, these were these were pretty solid shows. So let us crack on. Uh, our opening match of the tour was PJ Black against one of the LA Dojo Young Lions, Alex Coughlin. Uh, this went uh, just around eight minutes. And this is pretty good, actually. You know, Black being the veteran, kind of keeping this whole thing in shape. Um, Coughlin, like any newer wrestler, there are times when obviously he um, he's putting everything together in his head and he's kind of thinking out the move before he does it. Uh, and, so, and there's just that that naturalization into being a wrestler that only comes with doing it over and over again until it becomes like muscle memory. So I can't... Um, I can't give out too much for, for that, for someone who's only, you know, a year or two into the business. Um, but he, you know, he has a presence about him. And uh, and all th- three of them, actually, and we'll, we'll talk about all three young lions throughout this tour, but they all have that kind of raw potential, and they all have a really good look. And again, and I'll keep saying this, you know, Ring of Honor would be mad to not keep using these guys. And uh, <laughs> New Japan would be mad not to let Ring of Honor use these guys to bolster up their division because uh, though New Japan maybe they have cold feet to a certain degree considering the way Ring of Honor have used uh, guys in the past either like uh, Sho and Yo or Evil where they didn't really get as much out of them as they could have um, we are far removed from those days and, and though the roster isn't as depleted as some people make out to be there are still plenty of um, more than anything else, these guys can be used to get other guys over at the moment, which is, you know, the young lion's losing. That's what a young lion is there for. Uh, so it just, it serves so many masters and it just, it makes sense to use these guys more. Um, so that's absolutely what they should do. Uh, but this was good. This was physical. Um, Black hit the double stop moonsault again. And this was solid all around. I, I have no complaints with this. Something I do have a complaint about is Kelly Klein and Kate Carney. And once again, Kelly Klein uh, continues to have uh, nothing in the way of effective offense or anything that convinces me that she's been doing this for apparently as long as she's been doing. I don't have a lot to say on this. Uh, This also went around about eight minutes as well. But uh, compared to the first match, this felt like it went about 15 because this is bad. And we had Kelly Klein call out the allure afterwards. That whole thing's going on and I just don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. Uh, Red Titus arrived and this is, I think, where I turned the corner on Red. And actually, I'd be fine with him being a commentator every week because he does bring a little bit of juice to... uh, uh, Rick Abani, who actually, I, I mean, I do like Rick Abani. I think he's a very good commentator and he plays it very, um, he plays it, you know, very much like a kind of old school play-by-play commentator. Yeah, play-by-play play-by-play commentator. Um, and I think actually Colt wasn't great on this tour. Uh, I found Colt didn't seem particularly interested in a lot of the action going on. Uh, he's... By no means, he's he's been a very good Cullen commentator in the past, and I do like this tandem of Rickabunny and Colt, but this wasn't a particularly strong tour for Colt uh, when it came to, to his insight or adding anything of value to the match. Um, he very much, you know, he reacted to the things that he saw, but he sounded kind of bored uh, throughout. So uh, Rhett was kind of actually a welcome addition to the comment commentary for this but anyway um tico ryan and Vinny marcellia took on the young lions of clark connors and carl fredericks and grading on the curve of what i think of the kingdom uh this was not too bad uh connors and fredericks again like coughlin there are times where things don't appear as natural to them as as it would with an experienced wrestler um, but you know, Fredericks, he's a fucking, he's a beast of a man. Like, um, he's someone that 
<laughs> I won't be surprised if Vinnie Mac took a look, took a liking to, because uh, he's, he's just a big old presence. Uh, and Clark Connors is more of the the kind of scrappier fighter. Um, so, uh, but this was okay, uh, and uh, the Kingdom would win with the, the House of a Thousand Corpses um, hitting it on both of them and pinning both guys at the same time to you know give them at least a bit of a kind of dominant presence. Um, this was there, you know, nothing again that was blow away, but it, it served what it needed to do, and um, and it gave the Kingdom a victory going into the rest of the tour. There was a lot of stuff here that would set up matches later in the tour, which is very much uh, a ghetto booking style trope that Delirious has clearly taken a liking to, and a, I, that's the way you should do it, so that's fine with me. Shane Taylor took on Hikuleo in the match that or one of the matches that I was had the least anticipation for because uh, Shane Taylor, it really depends on the guy he's in the ring with. Um, we've seen him and Jeff Cobb have a great match, Shane Taylor's best match to date, um, but he can also look uncoordinated and uninspired um, with his offense. Um, and Hikuleo, I haven't watched a lot of him. Uh, him and Mikey Nichols bored me to tears, and uh, he obviously he's a tall dude, and he will get all the opportunities and the chances to improve. And I think he's pretty relatively new to the business as well, so I can't fault him for that too much. But uh, this this had the chance to be bad. They were smart about this. They kept this very very short. This went under four minutes. Um, Taylor would win hitting the greetings. Uh, from 216, uh, and this is what this needed to be, uh, short, impactful, you know, heavy with the chops and the fists, and um, they got in, got out, which is how this sort of thing should be, so smart on whoever put this match together. Yvonne Sonata took on Mark Haskins and Tracy Williams, LIG ref LIJ refused to do the handshake, uh, Sonata has kept his attire from his a uh, recent match with Okada. Um, that seems to be his real kind of turning point and transition into the heavyweight scene, uh, or the heavyweight championship scene in New Japan. Uh, this was fast. This was, uh, you know, again, you know, when Haskins is in there, he really kind of ramps up the pace of these types of matches. Um, and this was a, a, a good display, definitely nothing where you felt that um, the imported guys were coming in and phoning it in. They worked hard. Sonada, he's too natural of an athlete to to, to phone it in. I don't, I don't think that comes natural to him, um, just with the things that he can do. Uh, we had a whole bunch of stuff here towards the ends, and they were going back and forth. Um, you know, Williams hits a Spicoli drive for two. There was an ankle lock. Uh, Sonata took the ref, there was a chair shot by Evil, uh, Sonata got a roll up for two, uh, and finally the Magic Killer uh, would follow and LIG would pick up the win. Um, which is fine considering you know how this was going on to the next night, and uh, wasn't the kind of thing where Haskins or Tracy Williams lose anything by uh, by losing this match, and considering they were going up against Evil and Sonata, this is the kind of match they can afford to, to lose. Um, and definitely the best thing on this show at this moment, uh, just a shy under 20 minutes, and this was good fun, best thing so far. Uh, Dalton Castle arrived as he was out to, to keep an eye on, you would imagine, Roosh, considering what happened at Madison Square Garden. Uh, this was okay, um, again, as with Roosh at the moment, in any of these matches, uh, this is here just to get him another victory against someone with a little bit of name, a little bit of notoriety to them. And uh, Silas Young has that because, you know, he's been winning against Gresham over the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, it, it's just it's another name, another uh, skull to, to cap. Uh, is that the saying? Is that what I'm trying to say? You know what I'm saying. Uh, I love the the bull's horns. Uh, I think um, we'll see on, I think it's the next night, uh, Roosh does it to PJ Black. And, uh, Roosh just looks like a star, you know. I am i don't know how him and this will translate when I imagine at some point he will end up winning the Ring of Honor title. He is 
He's playing more heel than he is face, but he is going up against heels and faces. They're, they're not <laughs> discriminating against who he takes on. Excuse me, I need to yawn. I'm doing this early on a Monday morning. Um, but he's not discriminating against the type of uh, challenger he takes on. Offense. Uh, and yeah, this was just uh, just good stuff all around. Um, I really enjoy watching the likes of Kojima and Nagata in a setting that isn't you know familiar. Ridiculous. Ended up we had Kojima uh, hit a brain buster. Uh, we had PCO block a lariat, and then Kojima hit back um, with like a rebound for two. Uh, and then Cobb took out King, and it all just kind of broke down with a schmoz. Um, and then uh, the champions double team Kojima and Peven uh, the next night for the championship. So. It made sense for, for PCO to pick up the victory here. Uh, there was no chance that the, the belts were going to change hands. But yeah, this was cool. I, I enjoyed the, the belt shot. Uh, PCO popped up, Taven run for his life. All that good jazz. You know, just a very simple build. Gorillas of this at the Masters of the Craft show. This was okay. I ended up feeling a little bit disappointed by the end. I was really hoping that this would crack the, the four-star range. Um, but I guess... While G.O.D. have that presence and the charisma, uh, sometimes they just don't feel like hitting that next gear. And they never really did over this tour. Um, and when I think of people that can have the ability to phone it in, uh, Tamatonga kind of fits that bill uh, sometimes. But hey, more power to him. If he can get paid and save his body, who am I to, to complain about that? Um, yeah, this one about 15 minutes. Um, I don't know, it just, it just never clicked into that next gear. Uh, I still really like the combination of Lethal and Gresham. Uh, I think that it would be good to have Lethal in this role for a while, because uh, he's done everything on the, the main event scene, and unless they're going to start using him to, to try and get over other people to get them to his level, uh, I think this is the, the right place for him to be at the moment. And also it, it elevates Gresham as well. Um, I, I hope, um, depending on if G.O.D. stick around, if they carry on with these belts, I'd like to see them come back to this. I think they have a much, much better match in them. Uh, I don't know if it would require Lethal and Gresham being in Japan for it to, to hit that next gear. Um, but, I don't know. Uh, we had the whole schmoz again. Lower bring in the belts. Distracted the ref. Uh, Tonga hit Jay with another belt. Gresham made the save, uh, hit a gun stun, so at least the match ended with a clean uh, maneuver. But there are a fair few matches on this tour that had just shenanigans that uh, I wasn't a fan of. So um, this was okay. Yeah, this is the. I was hoping this would be the best match on this card, but uh, unfortunately uh, it wasn't meant to be. Uh, that would end up going to uh, Evil Sonata, Haskins, and Williams. Um. Then our main event. Uh, surprising that this was our main event, considering we had a couple of title matches on the card. But uh, yeah, we had Bandido and Flip Gordon. Um, so Flip would end up doing more of this tour than we imagined. Uh, again, he had his uh, visa issues getting into Japan. And this was uh, obviously Bandido's last match before he would head over to Japan. This was, this was really cool. This was... Uh, you know, this was a main event match with Flip Gordon and Bandido, uh, and they wrestled it like a main event, um, but incorporating the fact that these two guys are two of the best high flyers in the world. Um, and that's not to say that because it was a main event match that they the the pace was slower, but they definitely you know allowed the time for uh, the, the match to breathe, and they had the time to do that. Uh, this went uh, this went over twenty minutes, like close to about twenty five minutes, um, but it didn't feel that long. Not that twenty five minutes is you know, long in the grand scheme of things, but it's about what you'd expect for a, a main event. Um, and the match started with it started like a, a, a juniors match. There was a lot of reversals and high flying and kip ups and flips and all that kind of stuff uh, before it broke down into something a little bit more traditional. But again incorporating the high flying that these two can do and, and better than a lot of people on the, the scene today. Uh, and Flip would end up winning this match um, after a couple of close falls here and there. Um, and then uh, Lifeblood would come in the ring because 
Haskins and Williams were at ringside and, and they said that, hey, you know, we'd like you to be a part of Lifeblood. And uh, before saying, you know, give yourself some time to think about it. But this was this was really cool. Uh, I think these two do have a better match in them. Um, I don't know whether it's in some ways them working a main event style limited them to um, having to spend the time to let everything breathe. And maybe it's that they work better in a, a you know, you know, like the, the triple threat at G1 Supercard um, that went under 10 minutes. And yet I, I thoroughly enjoyed that more than this, but that's not to say that this was a, a worse match. Um, just the, the, the high velocity and pace, uh, suits, it, it does suit the, the junior style uh, and I think it might just be that I'm not accustomed to watching the juniors work at that kind of main event level and it's something that for me personally I just need to get myself uh, back up and accustomed to uh, but this was a success for me um, to, to allow these two guys to have the, the, the main event scene here and to have the, the kind of match that they did and this was really good for Flip as well because you know, Flip is someone that they're probably going to push very hard and uh, and they probably should, you know. He's he's as close to like a homegrown star as they have at the moment and uh, no one's come calling for him yet. So th- this was a success all round and uh, by the end of it, this was a, a perfectly serviceable show. Again, nothing that is completely out of your way that you need to see, but uh, but this was good. This was good. Uh, night two took place from the Ted Reeve Arena in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we started off with the G.O.D. Um, but this was now all three members, Sahikaleo, Tamatonga and Tongaloa, up against all of the uh, young Lions. So Alex Coughlin, Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors. And this was largely inoffensive. Um, everyone got a little bit of time to shine. This was... One of the better performances from Hikuleo, um, partially because he was in a six-man tag, so you could hide his weaknesses. Uh, the, the the tree slam, the finish, was a little bit clunky. Uh, it didn't quite uh, look as effective as, as it probably should have. Um, just the timing was off between uh, Hikuleo and uh, I think it was... Was either Connors or Coughlin? I still haven't quite established who are those three or who yet. Um, but hey, yeah, this was okay. Uh, Silas Young and New- Yuji Nagata uh, went just about 10 minutes, and this was going fine, and then they decided to fuck around with it by having Young got a chair, he came out, he, he got a chair, he came back into the ring, and he decided to pass the chair to Nagata and then lie down on the ring like he'd been clocked with it, which is fine, except that Paul Turner, the referee, took a fucking day and age to get back into the ring like he'd been murdered. Um, and Nagata was faffing around with this and spending too long deciding what he was going to do before deciding to wrap the chair around around his own head and uh, lie on the floor. Uh, Young saw that he did this and then he kind of paced around the ring for a little bit like, oh no, what do I do? Instead of just going to grab the chair. But again, he had to because the referee took a fucking day and age to get back into the ring. So, I see what they were going for. Um, it kind of worked in execution, but it wasn't as smooth as it could have been. Uh, and I, I blame the ref solely for this one. And or just, it's not. I, I guess it's it's novel to see Yuji Nagata uh, pretending to be Eddie Guerrero circa two thousand and five. But at the same time, um, it's not what I would do, Yuji Nagata. It's not what I would pay to see Yuji Nagata do. Um, and also because they were having a f- fun little match up until that point, but yeah, there you go, whatever. Uh, Iwo Sonata took on the kingdom, and this was this is kind of the uh, the the reaching point, the climax of what I've been saying about the kingdom just not being that particularly uh, entertaining as a tag team, as they made Evil and Sonata uh, almost feel boring. Um, Thankfully, like if this has gone longer than ten minutes, uh, this would have just lost stars left, right, and centre. Uh, you know, this was two and a half at best. The end of it was cool, I guess. You know, Sonada uh, got the skull end. He swung Vinny around, 
They hit the, the magic killer. Um, yeah, I just I don't have a lot to say about this one. Uh, Roosh and PJ Black. I really enjoyed this. This went about six minutes and it didn't need to go any longer. Um, Black got about the most offense we've seen on Roosh at this point. Uh, as you know, at some point we have to get to that point of um, a singles match with Roosh being more than just a one-sided squash. And this was like the first signs of that. And it was fine. Um, PJ Black is a bit of a pushed commodity. Um, so he can afford to get a little bit of offense in. Uh, but as soon as Roosh, you know, got on offense, you know, the match was kind of over from that point, but it went for a few minutes and, uh, Roosh just, you know, really like he's hit a snap German, um, hit a suicide dive. He's slammed him into the barricades, corner splash, super kick, belly to belly and, uh, the ball horns, which again, PJ Black sold like a fucking king, uh, and, this made Roosh look more like a star than anything else he's done, even more so than the uh, Castle match at G1 Supercard. Uh, this was wasn't the best match of the weekend uh, of, of the tour, but it might have been the match that I enjoyed the most, just for how fucking effective it was in in what he was trying to accomplish. Uh, Castle came out. Um, he kind of smacked talk on Toronto uh, and how he's uh, boyless and free. And, uh, he, yeah, like, like, again, as mentioned, this whole turn of Castle has worked in, it just, it gives him a little bit more of an edge, uh, and just giving him a bit, a bit of his humour back, like, but also added with the, the danger that he's needed. So, yeah, this is cool. Uh, Briscoes and Lifeblood went at it for about, uh, just under 15 minutes, and this was, this was cool. Uh, I could easily watch these two teams go at it. I can watch the Briscoes all day long. I can watch Haskins and Williams go all day long, uh, and this was good stuff. Uh, as expected, the you know this match was never in doubt. It was always going to be the Briscoes winning um, because because they were challenging God at the Chicago tapings. Hmm. Excuse me, talking by myself is tiring. But uh, yeah, that down the stretch, this just went crazy. Uh, Jay was looking for the Jay driller, but uh, Haskins escaped. Um, Williams got a frog splash. Uh, by the end of it, uh, Williams had Mark on the top rope. Uh, he was going maybe for like a superplex or something, but Jay got underneath, carried him on his shoulders, uh, hit the Doomsday device, and uh, and yeah, and Briscoe's picked up the win. And uh, yeah, this is good. This is good fun. Um, we had some stuff with Billy Ray and, and, uh, this is where I think, uh, this is where I think that the, the feud, the dynamics of this feud really became apparent that it's a bit weird because it's Billy Ray coming out and kind of standing up against two guys and, you know, Billy Ray has had like the remnants of a stable coming together, whether it be with Silas Young or Shane Taylor or the Briscoes. But they either need to make it official or actually just give him some guys that he can officially have a stable with so he can have these matches with Lifeblood because uh, it's still just him um, against the many and it makes no sense. We had a whole bit with Kelly Klein and the Allure and Angelina Love talking about that uh, she's a native of Canada but um, then declaring that she's now a permanent citizen of the United States and that she w wouldn't want to wrestle in Canada. And, ah, uh, this was fine, I guess. Jay Lethal defeated Satoshi Kojima in 15 minutes flat in a fine match. Um, very much kind of like Kojima hitting his uh, greatest hits while Lethal worked around that. Um, and... You can't. You can tell. Obviously, Kojima is is older, and um, he's not going to go like balls to the wall for fifteen minutes. Uh, and this wasn't the case here. But you know, he went the fifteen minutes. He 
uh, was there with Lethal to the end. Um, there were some great reversals uh, in the way that uh, Kojima avoided the Lethal Injection and, and smacked Lethal on the back of the head with a lariat. Uh, it was very much enjoyable. There was plenty of references to, to Bread Club and uh, Kojima was screaming in English at some points. Um, and it's always fun when a, a Japanese guy is screaming Engli- English, uh, whether shut up, whatever else. And uh, yeah, you know, Kojima certainly at this point does rely a fair amount on his charisma to get through these matches, but that works fine for me. And, uh, you know, the crowd were really into this, and, and that was the key thing as well. Uh, the crowd definitely kind of kept this match going, uh, and they were very much into this. So yeah, this, for me, this was a success. This was definitely a home run. Uh, we then next had the Four Corners match, uh, which... I don't believe this was originally announced as a television title match. I think it got changed at some point, um, whether that day, uh, where Jeff Cobb took on Brody King, Hiroki Goto, and Shane Taylor. This kind of felt like a waste of Hiroki Goto, and this tour in general felt like a waste of Hiroki Goto. Uh, I, I do wish that they had <clears throat> done something a little bit more significant with him. I had a couple of singles matches with him. Um... The only thing he has coming up is Goto and uh, Hikuleo at the television tapings. But uh, but this was cool. This was a good sprint. Um, again, like Brody King, just I'd like to see Brody King and Hiroki Goto actually go at it in a singles match. That sounds like a good, fun combination. Um, a very surprising end result where Shane Taylor would pin Brody King to become your new television champion. And in the span of less than a week... Uh, Jeff Cobb has lost his never title to Taichi of all fucking people and now the television title to uh, Shane Taylor now I don't know whether this is a thing for for Jeff Cobb to chase Shane Taylor uh, and win it back at some point and again those two had a hell of a match at the 17th anniversary so they could do that but Jeff was having a really good run with the TV title and it just it seemed like the, the wrong time for them to take the belt off of him unless there's a plan in place. For, I mean, I imagine there has to be a plan in place, but whether they, uh, they're they going to push him up to the main event scene or or what the deal is. But this, I'll, I'll see how this one plays out, but it, it, it felt very much like the wrong time to do this, especially considering he lost the Never title only a few days prior. Um... But overall, this was a good, fun sprint, and uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe Jeff is spending planning on spending more time in Japan, so Ring of Honor felt that it would be good to have the belt on someone they know isn't going anywhere. Who knows? Who knows? I will say, uh, I, I get the idea of a big guy hitting a Canadian destroyer, but Shane Taylor hit this Canadian destroyer that looked like it just, oh. No, 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 please don't do it. It looks like he's going to kill someone, and I don't want to see that, so please stop that. Okay, our main event of this show. Matt Taven and PCO went at it for the heavyweight title of the world. And uh, we started off with a promo from Matt Taven talking about how PCO is merely just a man, and this was effective. But he then did scream that he is, in fact, Matt Taven, as if we wasn't already aware by that point. The bulk of this match was worked around. It started with, with PCO, um, you know, taking all action and just laying into Matt Taven. Uh, but the, the heat spot would be uh, the kingdom would come down. And uh, I think it was TK Ryan. He would hold out an axe in the middle of the ring uh, upright. Uh, and then Taven would drop PCO's face onto the axe. That That's a thing that happened. Um, and then it made sense in the context that if PCO is going to have a weakness, it's the fact that he only has one working eye. Um, and yeah, sure, you can make that make sense. And and from a storyline perspective, it, it did add heat and drama to the match, and that's all good. But he also dropped a man on his face onto a fucking axe, and... You know, there's there's levels of uh, suspension in, in disbelief and belief that I'm, I'm willing to incorporate. That was pushing it just a little bit too much. Um, but hey, you know, this went uh, just under 20 minutes. And it. I will never not be amazed at PCO at this point wrestling 
to the level and caliber and with the effort that he is he is capable of doing. Um, and by the end of this, I came away thinking, okay, I just watched Matt Taven and PCR have a better main event match than any WWE pay-per-view this year so far that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, I will say that the finish... We can have a lengthy conversation about how to book uh, your heel champion, specifically in their first defense. Um, and they would do it, I'd say they'd do a better job of it the next night, but <sighs> I get it. Like, Taven, he's kind of the chicken shit heel, and you're not going to have him win clean uh, a lot of the time. And I get it that you want PCO to be this strong, Undertaker kind of type of character where he just doesn't feel pain. But at the same time, it is still just PCO, and you can have him eat a loss. I don't think it impacts him too much at this point. You know, he's not someone you're going to build the company around. He's not someone you're going to put the belt on. So you can have him take the loss, and you can have it be from the impact of being uh, dropped on an axe earlier. But uh, but the ref would get distracted. Uh, Taven would be given a spike. And he'd stab PCO in the eye and pin him for just, uh, you know, I always hate it when a weapon is what leads to to a finish. Like, even if Taven had stabbed him in the eye and then gone up top and done a frog splash, or even on the climax, because the climax is a maneuver where you hit the person on that part of the, their body, uh, that would have at least had a little bit more of, of Taven, you know, finishing the match with his own kind of move. So... Other than the finish, this was really good. Uh, I could definitely watch these two go again. I was really hyped for this. It wasn't the total banger that I was looking for. I was really hoping this would hit four stars. Uh, it didn't quite get to, to that level, but this was good. And, you know, there are still questions out there about Taven as the heavyweight champion, but between this and between the next night we'll talk about, uh, he has not fallen uh, he is, he is not, you know, he's not failed at what he is needing to do. So finally, uh, the Grand Rapids show, uh, which took place on May the 11th. Uh, this was the weakest card going in, but I think for me, uh, ended up being my favorite night of the tour due to just one change. Uh, but that change made all the difference. So we'll get into this. Uh, Coast to Coast defeated Alex Coughlin and Carl Fredericks. Uh, once again, uh, the Young Lions looked really good here. They they had a really good showing for themselves over this tour. Uh, nothing stand out, nothing blow away, but they didn't embarrass themselves. And I think that they have definitely earned themselves uh, more tours with Ring of Honor. And again, it just it makes sense to do that. Uh, I'm not too high or too hot on Coast to Coast. They don't really do much for me. Their look doesn't do much for me. Um, they, they just scream undercard tag team, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, you know, they got the win here, and, and hopefully they can do something with it. They're going for more of a heel edge, uh, as they've been on a losing streak for a while. So, you know, this accomplished what it needed to do. Um, but nothing particularly memorable about it. Uh, Kelly Klein and Stacey Shadows was horrendous, and I... I almost feel bad for how much I talk smack about Kelly Klein, but she's given me nothing to work with. Just nothing. Uh, the Allure came out after, and they beat down Stacey Shadows. Uh, Kelly made the save again and got blinded by Hairspray. That's all continuing. At some point, we're going to get Kelly Klein and Angelina Love. And Angelina Love has never been any kind of like great worker, but if she can get anything close to, say, three stars... She is the fucking Ric Flair of our generation. I'm just putting that out there right now. And it better be Angelina Love because dear God if they put Velvet Sky off. Dear fucking God if they put Mandy Leone in the ring with Kelly Klein. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm moving on. Uh, so yeah, PCO's match with Haskins was cancelled due to the eye injury. Um, I don't know whether this is kayfabe or not. But hey, storyline wise, it made sense. Uh, we was meant to see Cheeseburger versus Clark Connors, which, in a way, I was curious to see as a singles match. But Dalton Castle came out and just said that this, this won't do. He wanted to see something exciting. This isn't the thing for him. Um, Burger uh, uh, 
made the suggestion that this could be a triple threat and Castle refused uh, because simply the, the audience and uh, these two wrestlers don't deserve him. So Berger said, well, you know, he'd beat Castle in 16 seconds, uh, which was a good little line. And this became a triple, triple threat. And uh, what a weird fucking array of, of uh, wrestlers for a triple threat in the... 120 pounds soaking wet cheeseburger, cheeseburger, the young lion in Clark Connors, and former Ring of Honor world champion Dawson Castle uh, wrestling in his jeans and a t-shirt. And uh, this was fun. This was actually kind of fun. Uh, Castle, I, he showed a lot more intensity and he was a lot more aggressive. And it's all the stuff that I've been saying. It's what you need to do to get into um, that next level. He needs to be, and he's all. He was also moving. Uh, a lot smoother and in a way that m- having the time off uh, has hope I think has done him wonders uh, we'll see when he wrestles a proper match in, uh, in in actual wrestling attire to see how kind of bandaged it up he is still because uh, he was starting to look like a mummy but uh, but this was cool and uh, he actually it was Berger that he ended up finishing off with the uh, bangerang and yeah this is cool and and this was, I imagine, the first triple threat that Clark Connors has been in, and he held himself well. And again, getting back on for another tour. Uh, the Kingdom and the Sons of Haku went at it in a three, a six-man tag, and I don't really have a lot to say about this because, again, uh, just the the Kingdom don't do anything for me, and uh, it really does drag down Matt Haven being uh, stuck with these pair of Melvins. Uh, Haskins arrived afterwards and said that he uh, he was meant to face PCO tonight, and I <laughs> his logic was a bit flawed because he was like, "Hey, I was meant to face PCO tonight, and if he had beat you last night, I'd have had a Ring of Honor World Title shot." And it's like, "Well, yeah, but he didn't win, so even if you could have faced him tonight, it wouldn't have been for the Ring of Honor title." So the logic was a bit flawed on that one, Mark. I see where you're going for. I don't think it, it the, the landing stuck as much as you was hoping for. Um, uh, Taven, in a, an amusing moment, was like, hey, do you guys want to see a, a title shot tonight? And uh, he, you know, he was really trying to big the crowd up. And then he just was like, no. Uh, and I enjoyed that. That was a funny line. And uh, Haskins would bring up uh, Mike and Maria uh, Canelis and saying, you know, when, did, when they left, did they take your balls with them? And... That got uh, Taven all riled up, and uh, the match was on for later. So, cool. Good stuff. Uh, Flip Gordon uh, defeated Rhett Titus in under four minutes. Uh, obviously, Flip was meant to be on the best of the Super Juniors tour, but got uh, he couldn't go because he had visa issue, issues. So, he showed up here. He didn't show any signs of being totally dejected about his opportunity. Um there you go. What can what can you say? Uh, but yeah, he he beat Red Titus in under four minutes, and uh, he did it with an STF. I don't remember Flip ever winning a match with an STF before, but uh, this was this was a really good tour for Flip in terms of uh, just making him look like a fucking killer, actually. Uh, and and between the match with Bandito in this, good stuff. Uh, Evil and Sonata took on the team of the Bouncers in one of the weirder fucking matches. Uh, you're ever likely to see. And uh, even Sonata just were like, what the fuck do we do with these two? Uh, a lot of this was worked around um, even Sonata trying to hit uh, a double-team suplex on either of these two fuckers. Uh, eventually, they'd hit one on um, on the big guy, on uh, Malonus. I can never remember his name. And uh, But they'd end up hitting the, the, the magic killer on, on the Beer City Bruiser, which still, like... Bruce is obviously the, the smaller, the lighter of the two, but that's still an impressive manoeuvre to hit on on those two. Um, you know, this was definitely a, a night off for Lij, uh, and I can't entirely blame them for this. Uh, but you know, this is fun. It, what a weird, what a weird combination, you know. Uh, we had another four uh, four man contenders match. Um, we had one the night before. We had one this night. This time we had the combination of Rush, Tracy Williams, Eli Isom, and PJ Black with the winner getting a shot on June first, which I believe is a house show, which made 
immediately made me think that Roosh was not winning this, and I would be correct. Um, this was all action, as these kind of four-corner matches tend to be. Um, I think Isom actually really had a really good showing here. Um, I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know what the projection with him is. Um, but again, you know, he is a, a, a student of the, the Ring of Honor Dojo, and uh, they should push him as much as they can because they, they need to do it. They need to make some stars. So if he can keep showing himself off in matches like this, they've got a good chance. Um, Black and Roosh, I, I want to see these two go again in a longer setting. Uh, I think there's some really fun stuff they could do there. Uh, Roosh would end up sacrificing himself uh, to take out Black that was on the floor. Uh, and then Williams would uh, hit a Lariat and a pile driver onto Eli Isom for the victory. So uh, we're going to get Tracy Williams and Matt Taven uh, on June 1st, which uh, isn't any kind of like, you know, money drawing match, but I I'm three and a half stars is where I see that, that match going. And, and I'm, I'm, I wasn't totally sold on Williams. Uh, he never did much for me in Evolve in the few times that I saw him, but he is becoming a dependable, dependable member of the Ring of Honor roster. And uh, he's someone that you can put in a title match, and I think that he will give you a, a pretty decent match. And certainly for a house show, it's, it's, it's a smart thing to do. So I have no complaints about this all round. Uh, another thing I have no complaints about, Matt Taven and Mark Haskins. Oh my word, let me tell you. So Mark Haskins is great, if you wasn't already aware. Um, he certainly out of him and uh, Williams is what I like about that lifeblood tandem. But Mark Haskins has been great for years. I remember seeing him back in, I want to say like 2009, 2010 on the British independent scene, like way before Rev Pro and Progress with, you know, things. Um, and he always just had a fucking energy about him, you know, real kind of pit bull like mentality where he was obviously the smaller guy, but he just went back down from a fight and uh, he moved away from his high flying repertoire and went more on a, a strike uh, strike based type of uh, style, which kind of complements the fact that his neck is a bit knackered. Um, and he was going to retire a couple of years ago, which I remember as well. Like he won the progress title and then retired it within about two months. So, um, you know, he's, he's someone I'm, I'm so happy to see in the position that he's in, uh, and that ring of honor have taken a shot on him because, um, all of the North American, uh, companies are just, you know, trying to grab talent where they can left, right and center, uh, which unfortunately, has been a detriment to the British scene as like all of the top guys over the past five years uh, have pretty much all been taken at this point, whether it be the NXT UK or um, AEW taking um, Jimmy Havoc, uh, Haskins being taken here, Osprey in Japan. So it's it's great to see all of these British guys get the the exposure and be um, you know being seen around the world, but it's kind of sucked for the British scene, but. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Uh, this was just this was awesome, and uh, the the storyline before was that uh, the kingdom could not be allowed at ringside for Matt Taven in any of his singles matches anymore. So Taven, you know, had to prove himself on his own here, and for the most part, up until the end, which we'll get to, he did exactly that. And you forget that Taven actually is a he's a pretty good fucking athlete. You know he. He can do some stuff, uh, and he doesn't always have to do it because obviously he's a heel. But uh, but this is just great stuff all around, and it's the one thing that I would say go out of your way to see, uh, whether you have uh, an honor club subscription or you know whatever means to see this match. I would definitely recommend it. Definitely four stars. The only thing over the three nights that was definitely four stars for me. Uh, the ending was a bit bullshit. Bully Ray came out to distract Haskins. I mean, it plays into their storyline, so I get it. I get why you, you do that. Um, still kind of would like Taven to have won this match. Clean as a sheet, but at least with this, he hit the climax. He didn't, you know, stab Haskins with a fucking railroad spike again. He hit the low blow. He hit the climax to retain. Uh, a really good, like, late change addition to the card. Very much necessary. Um, it tipped this whole uh, card into being the, the best uh, card of the week of the week. 
and um, you know, just Haskins just really delivered here, and they can, if they want to, they could push Haskins more into the main event scene, and I think they should. Uh, they need guys to to fit that role, and I think Haskins can fit that role. And whether this was a litmus test or it was just they wanted to just add something to the card at the last minute, and uh, whatever it may be, I hope that Delirious and and the Ring of Honor officials look at this and. They they make a play to to make Haskins uh, <clears throat> just more of a contender in Ring of Honor. They absolutely should. Um, after the match, PCO came out and he just fucking laid waste to Taven and hit the PCO salt. So looks like we're going to get a rematch of that, which I'm all for because I, I think that <clears throat> uh, I think that they do have a better match in them. Uh, I really think that PCO can go four stars with with Taven, and I, that's what I want to see. I, I'm for both of those guys, I'd love to see that. So, uh, I don't know when the future will get that, but yeah. And finally, the main event, which I won't talk too much about because I'm starting to lose my voice. Jeff Cobb, Jay Lethal, Yuji Nagata, Hiroki Goto, and Satoshi Kojima took on Bully Ray, Shane Taylor, Silas Young, and the Briscoes. As I was talking about, that Bully Ray um, stable that isn't a stable but is kind of a stable was here, and they went up against this fucking ragtag team. Um, it was a fun main event, you know, nothing again that was uh, particularly notable. Uh, the end result was a bit surprising as it was Kojima beating Bully with, uh, with a lariat. Uh, I would have figured that Bully Ray would have stayed strong because of, uh, the feud with Lifeblood. So, um, you know, Silas Young was there ripe to, to take the pinfall for this match. He's the only one that I don't really feel was the, the push to cut uh, commodity, but uh, but it was Bully Ray that would end up taking the pinfall. Who knows why? And yeah, and that was it. That was the tour overall. Overall, this was uh, it's three decent cards. You know, nothing that goes past seven out of ten, uh, but nothing that goes under say six out of ten. You know, right there in the middle. And you can make arguments that if Ring of Honor wanna have any kind of presence in twenty nineteen certainly when AEW comes knocking, that they need to be able to have matches and cards that uh, go way above this. And that's a fair complaint, it's a fair criticism that I do uh, agree with. But at the same time, they're in a better position than than a lot of people take them credit for. And I think that um, they have the roster, they, they can put matches together, they, have, they do have a a much better roster than people give this company credit for. So, uh, overall, this was a solid uh, three dates. I do think the one big complaint, the one big criticism, is that this is this was the least War of the Worlds type War of the Worlds uh, tour. Uh, there wasn't really, like, the, the big drawing or the big selling point of this tour was uh, G.O.D. and the Briscoes. Uh, but that was, you know, itself on the television taping. They really didn't do anything with Hiroki Goto. Uh, they didn't really do anything with Yuji Nagata. Kojima got the win here, and he had the fun match with with Lethal. Uh, so he wasn't a complete bust. But um, you know, even even and Sonata didn't really have anything much to do. So uh, from that aspect, the tour was not a failure, but just a bit of a disappointment. So hey, there you go. So that's it from me. Um, starting today is the best of the Super Juniors, and there's a whole bunch of <clears throat> Ring of Ring of Honor wrestlers in that, including the likes of Mike Skull and uh, Jonathan Gresham. <clears throat> Obviously, Flip Gordon was going to be in this, but he can't be. Um, Bandito's in there, and yeah, I'm looking forward to, to watching a whole bunch of that. I was going to do more of a preview, but we've gone an hour, and you're probably sick of my voice. So I'm going to leave it for here. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I will be back with, uh, I imagine, just a, a television review next week. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you again next time. <laughs>